When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey there, Candace. Jane, you know that old proverb that great fences make great neighbors? Yeah. I think it's true. It is very true. I like that. It's one of my favorite. Especially yeah. if you have a, a yappy little dog, like <laughs> I do, who likes to nose his way into other people's yards. Yeah. I have a question for you, actually. Did you ever play the game Rampart? The I vi- didn't. video game? Oh, uh-huh. it's a great game. It's actually you build, like, castles and walls to keep out uh, the uh, the enemy forces from coming in and, just, and uh, burning down your castle. And I think uh, playing that game, the hours that I spent were actually prepared me for this podcast. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so the idea today, things that keep people out. Fences, walls, <laughs> boundaries, um, uh, the biggest wall of all, what, what comes to mind? Oh, of course, the Great Wall of China. And yeah, there were other empires that had big walls before China. Denmark, mm. Korea, and the Roman Empire, they all had walls before China built its. And the funny thing about the wall is that, you know, when we think about the wall today, we see this one big labyrinthine landmark. That's right, and that wasn't always the case. No, it was built in sections, six sections to be exact. And they had really nothing to do with each other in terms of, like, they were only for their individual kingdoms. Precisely. And not much is known about the wall in terms of its length or its width. There's not a whole lot of standard measurements. Some people think that it's about 1,500 miles long. Other people say it's more like Mm 4,163 miles. And it's wider in some places than it is in others. And so just 
get the sense that it's not uniform by any stretch of the imagination. That's right. And to give you a point of reference, like they're not even sure how long it is. You know, you think that with, by, by today, this would be easy to figure out, but they're actually, uh, it's so difficult because there are sections of the wall that are buried and, and is, they're scattered. And like you said, there are different pieces and look different ways. So it's hard to find out. They're built of all different materials too. Right. Some are made of brick and stone and others are made of, of earth and other strange materials. And, you can really get the sense by studying the wall that this was a haphazard thing thrown together to keep out the Huns and other invaders. And that's exactly what it was. It's mm-hmm. like, um, I'm not much of a gamer, but Jane, I imagine <laughs> in Rampart you're doing whatever you can, scrambling as fast as possible to keep right. out people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So whatever you decide your bill to build your wall out of, as long as it's there, it's going to work. That's right. Well, Westerners call it the Great Wall of China. The Chinese don't really think of it that way. They're like, it's not so great. It's really (laughs) long. And that's why they call it the the Long Wall of 10,000 Li. That's right. And a Li is about half a kilometer, to give you a point of reference. Mm -hmm. And so that pegs it at about 3,000 miles. But as we know, we're not really sure. And so people are actually right now on a mission to determine once and for all how long the wall is. And Mm -hmm. they think it's going to be about a, a four-year trek because they have to go through mountains and desert and grasslands. And this is a study being conducted by the State Administration of Cultural Heritage as well as the State Bureau of Surveying and Mapping. And they're starting in the east by the Gobi Desert and they're moving west toward the Yellow Sea. That's right. And what's interesting to me about the Great Wall is that it was done in so many fits and starts. Like even after it was tried to be unified, which is back about, um, I want to say the third century. Yeah, that's the third century. Uh where the Qin, which is where China got its name originally, the Qin emperor uh, wanted to unify China. And so he tore down some walls that didn't make sense to him. And he kept up a northern wall to uh, keep out barbarians, like so that it, not even just to, to stop them, but maybe just to delay them so that when they knew they were coming, you know, the people um, could rally their defenses. And so this continued for a while, and Mm -hmm. it required the help of everyone from commoners to prisoners and and criminals and soldiers. Everyone had to chip in and build this wall. And we know that thousands and thousands of people died during the construction, and we also know that some of them were actually buried inside the wall. That's right, and it's pretty crazy to think that uh, there are actually not only earth, you know, packed in, but bodies inside that wall. Isn't that wild? And by yeah. now, I'm sure that um, it's it's bones, if even bones. Right. <laughs> how long it takes bones to finally disintegrate? But there you have it. Yeah. So the Qin Dynasty left off around the third century, and then it didn't really get as um, to be huge of a project until the Ming Dynasty. And that was around 1368 when that dynasty began. That's right. And they wanted to defend themselves from the Mongols by that time. Mm-hmm. And so the same principle again. You you keep adding length and width to the wall right. to keep out the invaders. And they had special passes. Like they obviously, be, in order to um, have people come in and out that were like trade, et cetera, that kept the country moving, they had things called passes. But they had to be heavily guarded by men to make sure, you know, you kept out the the unwanted invaders uh so but they also what was really cool about by this time the wall had uh signal towers and as you know they didn't have walkie talkies at that time so in order <laughs> <Hold> the fact <laughs> <laughs> and so in order to signal to each other like hey there's you know barbarians on the way sort of thing uh they would use anything from smoke signals to banners in the daytime but at night they had to use things like lanterns uh clappers or gunfire and that's what's so interesting about the Ming dynasty because not only did they add uh, girth to the wall, sometimes double and triple the width 
the width that it had been previously, right. they started reinforcing it with military personnel. Mm-hmm. And so they had guard towers and they had beacons and they had all of these extra human reinforcements to make sure that the invaders stayed out. But it wasn't always successful because uh, the guards could be pretty easily bribed. Yeah, that's true. And it, uh, it caused some problems. <laughs> it really did. And so... The Mongols finally, um, I'm sorry, not the Mongols, the Manchurians, they finally overtook the Ming Dynasty. Mm-hmm. And that was about the 17th century. And because they were more into appeasing the neighboring kingdoms, they weren't as interested in a, in a wall. So they basically let it fall into disrepair. Exactly. And and I think also part of their philosophy was, well, it couldn't keep us out. Who else is yeah. it not going to keep out? So it's a good pretty useless. Yeah. And you can imagine that a wall of that size and length, uh, even though today we talk about about it being in disrepair and ruin, it would have taken a lot of manpower to keep it up. And so they decided, no, it's it's just not worth it. And so a wall that had been developing for some 2,000 years, it just stopped and, mm-hmm. and stood. And that's when things like earthquakes and snow and, and wind and rain really exacted their fury on the wall. But today, the natural um, the natural threats aren't as great as the human threats. That's true. And as time went on, and people actually would, would take pieces away, whether it's to build houses or whatever. A similar thing happened to the Colosseum, I remember learning, um, where people, you know, they, they would just take bricks away. And this wall is a point of pride for China that mm-hmm. now, you know, it, it's a point of tourism uh, so that they want to keep it up. And so um, they want to stop these, uh, these things that are destroyed. And it's worth mentioning, too, that um, Chairman Mao was a pretty gung-ho advocate of of the people taking parts of the wall to build Mm -hmm. their own homes. You know, progress at what cost? Well, nothing, really, because your building materials are coming from something that's already extant. Um, But as far as threats from tourism, those are really, really serious because, you know, when the Berlin Wall came down, Mm -hmm. people took pieces away, but that was fine and dandy because no one wanted that wall. But the Chinese do want their wall. And so when tourists come, even if they're just chipping away a little brick or a little piece of earth, it's causing a lot of damage because on average, the wall gets around 10 million visitors per year. That's right. It's kind of ironic because it brings in money for the country, obviously, but it's also causing, it's taking its own toll on the wall itself. It really is. And not just from outsiders, but insiders too, because farmers and herders will take their livestock there to graze Mm -hmm. or else business people will set up uh, little vendor stands and things like that in front of the wall and it's just it's damaging not only the structural integrity but also the aesthetic appeal of the wall. That's right so today they they try to uh, advise the tourists to don't bring anything don't like leave it and and don't take anything away either. Right and one of the biggest problems they have or a couple of the biggest problems driving along the wall in some places it's as wide as 22 feet so you can drive a car on it. Yeah and And speaking of that they've actually cut roads through the wall itself so they've taken down sections of the the wall so that they can put roads through it which I can understand like obviously uh, it would probably cost a lot of much more money to build a road that goes over the wall but but still it's it's pretty sad. Well it's strange to think about, too, because I think that attitudes toward the wall are, are shifting, or at least they have been. If Chairman Mao is encouraging people to take apart the wall, mm-hmm. you can imagine that for the sake of bolstering infrastructure, people would support the idea of just knocking through it if necessary. That's but now true. people are starting to acknowledge it more as a world landmark. And it's actually one of the few landmarks that cartographers put on maps. 
and um, despite what people say, you cannot see it from space. Yeah, and that's an, is an interesting, actually, myth that you bring up about not seeing it from space because uh, the Chinese are actually kind of proud of this claim. They're like, oh, yeah, we, our landmark can be seen from space. But this this myth actually dates back to a 1932 cartoon uh, from Ripley's Believe It or Not. And it, it the cartoon claimed that this is the mightiest work of man, the only one that could be visible to the human, human eye from the moon. And this myth persisted throughout the space age even um, so that, you know, Apollo astronauts would, like, look for the, the <laughs> uh, Great Wall or whatever. But actually, um, there are shades of truth, even though the the Great Wall is definitely not visible from the moon. You know, no structure really is from the moon. But from space, you can actually, um, some astronauts say you can barely see it. Um, but what's interesting about this is that you can see other man-made structures much, much better, whether they be um, highways or, you know, the pyramids even can be seen a little bit better than the Great Wall. So it's shades of truth, but don't believe everything you hear. <laughs> But as far as, I guess, the, the permanence and the honor that the wall brings, I mean, you're yeah. right. That that yeah. would be a really honorable claim to fame that you can see the wall from space, mm-hmm. even if it's not true. So I can understand hanging on to that. But to know that about 50% of the wall is gone, yeah. 30% is in ruins, and only 20% of it is in reasonable condition, mm-hmm. that's, you know, it's been a real source of, of hurt for people who are yeah. starting to recognize it as a link to their past. And so in 2007, when it was chosen as one of the new wonders of the world, I think a lot of commissions and organizations were, they had fuel added to their fire of um, Keep preservation. Yeah, yeah. And back in 2003, Beijing was one of the first uh, places that the wall covers mm-hmm. to enact um, regulations for keeping up the wall and to impose fines on people who drove on it or That's took right. pieces And of they it. must have one of the worst problems with it since it's just a bustling city. Right, and one yeah. of the biggest problems they have, I think, is raves. People having raves oh, on the, the wall, yeah. Yeah, which ridiculous. to me is just inconceivable. Yeah. But um, then a couple of years later, or uh, contemporary to Beijing's policies actually going into law, China enacted a national policy against mm. desecration of the wall. Yeah. So no raves, no right. carving, no driving. And if you do, and you're a member of an organization or a group, you're going to pay upwards of around 60000 U.S. dollars. And if you're an individual desecrating the wall, I think it's around 6000 U.S. Yeah. dollars. Of course, that's harder to enforce around the rural areas. It is. And that's one of the biggest problems with the wall is that in the rural areas, Mm -hmm. you know, you're having problems with the herders and livestock damaging the wall. Mm -hmm. Not as many praise. And you can find out more about all different kinds of subjects uh, from the history of China to Beijing to the Olympics at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. 
thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.